0: This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Today on Everyday injustice, we have UCLA Law Professor Scott Cummings. Welcome to our show.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: So we, we saw this uh, publication that uh, you had co-authored a few years ago on public interest lawyers. Uh, and what is exactly public interest law?
1: Public interest law is a category of legal practice in which lawyers uh, represent underrepresented groups and individuals uh, and provide legal services for free on issues that are really important in society. So. Classic examples of public interest lawyers are uh, lawyers like the civil rights lawyers uh, that worked for the NAACP back in the 1960s. ACLU lawyers are considered public interest lawyers. Uh, Lawyers who represent low income people for free legal aid lawyers are also in the category of public interest lawyers. So really talking um, broadly about lawyers uh, who represent uh, individuals and groups that are unable to access legal services.
0: And are we seeing a downward trend or an uptick in interest in that kind of law?
1: I think definitely um, through the Trump era, there was a tremendous upsurge in interest in this kind of law. I mean, you'll remember in the early days of the Trump administration, when uh, Trump uh, administered the Muslim ban, there were lawyers that uh, showed up at airports to try to help people get into the country that uh, were legally entitled to be here. And that really did, focus a spotlight on the importance of these public interest lawyers and uh, not only helping people with critical legal issues, but securing the
0: rule of law. And, you know, in the broader scheme, how big a role do they play in, you know, social justice or transformation of society?
1: I mean, that's a hard question to answer. I think in the abstract, Uh, if you look at at, at the history of the US uh, and and lawyers working in this public interest space have been really critical in advancing important uh, social movements and uh, uh, building a more inclusive democracy. I mean, I go back to the um, uh, early um, uh, years of uh, the civil rights movement and the critical role that uh, Thurgood Marshall and the NAACP legal team played in um, planting the seeds uh, for Brown versus Board of Education, winning that case, and then really opening up the wider uh, civil rights movement to create inclusion for uh, Black Americans, um, a project that is still obviously ongoing. Um, but that was, I think, the you know, one of the most important and prominent examples of the role that public interest lawyers have played. Um, that movement really spawned the uh, the growth of public interest law as a set of organizations and a career path um, in the 1970s and 1980s. And lawyers uh, in these organizations again have collaborated with social movements to really um, do important things in society. And uh, if you look at uh, social movements throughout throughout. American history. Lawyers have been there uh, at every step. And so they're not in the vanguard necessarily, but they're really crucial to uh, ensuring that legal rights are codified and protected over time.
0: Now, would you consider something like indigent defense, public defenders to be a public interest law area?
1: Well, bringing it to the article that uh, I wrote with my colleagues uh, Catherine Alveston and Rick Abel, we do define in that particular piece public interest law broadly. I think that, that I think pe- people would say um, accurately that the definition of public interest law and the public interest more broadly is deeply contested. Um, we don't take sides in that contestation, uh, but we do provide a definition that includes lawyers and in nonprofit organizations. Like the ACLU and NAACP, as I've suggested, uh, lawyers who work in legal aid organizations, uh, lawyers who work in government agencies, and also lawyers who work uh, in public defender offices. So, for the purposes of our article, we do define public interest broadly to include public defenders. Um, but uh, you know, different kind of people have different views. It's not something that's fixed in stone, and so. Uh, we also, because we did an empirical study, have the capacity to kind of break out in different groups and just look more specifically at uh, the trajectories of lawyers in NGOs, but not public defenders, for example.
0: So what is your background uh, and how did you get into this particular uh, subject matter?
1: Well, my background is, a, is as a public interest lawyer, I uh, entered practice a long time ago now um, as a public interest lawyer at a local uh, legal services organization here in Los Angeles. And I did uh, non-litigation public interest law, which was kind of an emerging area at the time. Um, I represented uh, organizations that were trying to build economic opportunity in low-income communities. So I was doing transactional public interest legal work in support of community-based organizations, building housing and providing jobs for low-income people. Um, I came to UCLA in 2002 and very early in my career here, I became deeply involved in our uh, seminal uh, public interest program. It's now called the Epstein Program in Public Interest Law and Policy. And that program is designed to support students who want to have careers in public interest law. It was one of the first, if not the first program in the country to do this. And the idea behind the program is to select students that demonstrate high public interest potential, and then to provide a curriculum that's specifically adapted to training them and helping them network and um, build uh, profiles to get them jobs once they graduate. And so, In many ways, the study that uh, is the basis for the uh, article that that we wrote a couple of years ago was motivated by an interest in actually um, empirically studying whether or not what we were doing in the program, selecting students based on their past public interest experience, Uh, was in fact yielding public interest lawyers in practice. Um, So the work that I've done here at UCLA um, in the public interest field was really the genesis for uh, wanting to to know more about uh, lawyers that do this kind of work and how you can best support them in law school.
0: And so what did you learn?
1: Well, we learned that uh, law school matters. (laughs) Law school matters. So we learned what what uh, what folks coming into law school bring with them in terms of um, uh, their what we call in this paper their endowment, which both includes their background experiences and and, and some of the uh, stuff that they do in college, does in fact uh, shape or relate to the potential for these uh, for these graduates to do public interest work after they leave law school. But but stuff that we do in law school actually also makes a positive contribution to what we in the paper call public interest persistence. So lawyers who to enter in stay in public interest law over the long term. Uh, so I can I'm happy to describe uh, what uh, those factors are. But just uh, uh, briefly, one of the sort of the background debates within legal education uh, around public interest law has really been uh, whether or not uh, law school can do a better job given significant empirical research over a fairly long period of time, early starting uh, in the 1980s, uh, that demonstrated that, that although large proportions of entering law students, often half or more, expressed the desire to represent underserved clients or causes when they entered law school, the proportion uh, doing so after graduation fell uh, almost to, to zero, not quite zero, but usually less than 5%. Um, and this gap between kind of entering idealism and the reality of how few uh, graduates actually did public interest law after graduation is an idea called public interest drift. So, drifting away from your idealism and and becoming incorporated into commercial practice and and not following your public interest dreams. Um, so, that idea of drift is kind of the background operating principle that we launched this study against. And so we wanted to, to to see what motivated uh, those uh, graduates to stay in it for good, to to be persistent, and, and to and to not drift away. And again, what we found is that law school does matter, but in some surprising ways.
0: For instance,
1: uh, so some of the things that we expected to matter in law school didn't matter that much. Uh, so, you know, one of the big uh, curricular innovations in law school over the past fifty years has been the advent of clinical legal education. So having students do hands-on real world legal work uh, for clients, often low-income clients. And I think we expected that um, working in a law school clinic might correlate to public interest careers after graduation. And what we found was that that wasn't the case. Um, taking a law school clinic, of course, was not related to uh, public interest employment after graduation. Um, Another surprising thing was, uh, again, in the kind of negative frame that we expected that uh, 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 schools that had initiated opportunities for students to do pro bono volunteering, which, again, has kind of been a big trend over the last 25 years in law school, that students that had engaged in public interest or pro bono volunteering would be more likely to do public interest work over time given the nature of the pro bono volunteer work focusing on representing underserved clients. But we also, but we found there that it was actually inversely related. So if you volunteered pro bono during law school, it was actually negatively related to um, holding a current public interest job. And so those were some surprising things uh, about around the kind of institutionalization of public service in law schools, actually. At least in our study, uh, wasn't doing the work of producing public interest lawyers,
0: and we have some speculations as to as to why that uh, why that might be so. Um, is that a matter of they're getting exposed to the hardships of that kind of work, and and they realize that maybe it's a thankless job? I don't know. I'm just speculating.
1: Yeah, I think our speculation uh, was twofold. One is that with respect to volunteering pro bono. Um one one thought that we had is that pro bono conceptualizes public service work in some respect, at least, as charity. And the kind of charitable frame, right? You do it, um, uh, you do it uh, around uh, your primary work, which is you know working for paying clients. But that framing around charity, actually, Uh, was inconsistent with the ethos of students who actually wanna enter into public interest practice as their full-time career. And so volunteering may um, instantiate a value of volunteering for lawyers who go into the private sector, but it wasn't really compatible with the spirit and the mission of the students who wanted to go and stay in public interest practice for good on the front lines, working in NGOs or other contexts. Um, and then with clinical courses, I think one of the interesting facets of clinical education in the last, you know, roughly 20 years probably has been that it's expanded quite dramatically away from its original focus on uh, serving injured clients and instantiating a value of public service and uh, public interest uh, work. has really been some more oriented around in general, I would say skills acquisition Um, You know, there's a term of art called uh, market-ready lawyers, and so clinics are in some ways training lawyers to enter into the private sector as well as the public sector. And so it could be that the changing nature of law school clinical education and the broadening of that education to really focus on the private market as well has made it less of a site for incubating public interest practice. The things that did end up mattering, uh, interestingly, were things that um, Uh, uh, One other thing that ended up not mattering that was a little bit surprising, before I go to the things that did matter, uh, were uh, law school specializations like the one at our law school. And so, again, I told you that one of the motivations for studying uh, uh, public interest careers was to determine whether or not our program was having an impact. Um, And what we found was that uh, there was no relationship between. Uh, having a specialized curriculum focused on public interest law and um uh and uh and public interest employment after having having gone through one of those specializations and having having that predict public interest uh, practice uh after graduation um and again that was a little surprising to us and uh and 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 and, and, and uh and something that we weren't expecting however we also speculated that it was a uh, 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 potentially a function of the study, um, which I haven't talked about the design, but we did look at um, uh, graduates from six California law schools and only two of those law schools during the period that we studied actually had specialization. So the numbers were actually really small, the students who were um, going through those programs and then um, graduating and doing doing work afterwards. And so we may not have actually been picking up the effect essentially of the the specialization. The things that did matter were things that were actually outside of the formal curriculum, and this was an interesting finding for us. Uh, So um, uh, engaging in public interest law extracurricular activities, um, engaging in public interest law externships, and really significantly um, working in a public interest job during your 2L summer were all activities that were strongly correlated with um, holding public interest jobs. After graduation. Um, and so um, we kind of theorized based on these kind of outside the formal curriculum activities that uh, what they're bringing to students is this kind of facilitate the law schools are facilitating these experiences that are actually giving students the initiative, the understanding of the way that the public interest market works the drive and the networks to um, succeed in gaining public interest employment afterwards. And so one of the recommendations uh, from our study is to really invest more heavily in these kinds of activities that are teaching students, allowing students to exercise initiative and understand um, how public interest job markets work and build the networks necessary for them to be successful.
0: So that makes sense. Um, and, And kind of the whole picture you know, once you describe all that makes a lot of sense, right? Because they're looking for a career, not a charity. Um, So it makes sense that if they're involved in pro bono work, they may view it more as a charity rather than a career path. Um, You know, I mean, are you surprised though, overall that that the drift is really as pronounced as it turns out to be from over 50% down to 5%? Um, I guess I'm not that
1: surprised, and one of the reasons I'm not surprised—a uh, couple of reasons I'm not, I'm not surprised that that drift drift is significant. One is that I think if you look at the way that studies of drift um, define drift, the kind of values that students bring in to law school at the first instance are values that you know lots lots of people share and. You would expect people going to law school to have, on you know, on average, which uh, go to some level toward um, having an impact on society in a generalized sense. And you know, there are students who come into law school and say, my main goal in life is to make a lot of money at a big law firm. But that's really not what attracts, I think, most people to law school. There's something else about being a lawyer and being part of a profession that has a public role that is appealing. Uh, but but the, but the kind of generality of that idea, I think, doesn't necessarily predict the people who are going to go in very specific types of legal careers that are advancing very specific types of causes, be they civil rights, racial justice, environmental justice, um, or the like. And so, you know, I, I think looking at people who come in who have had uh, real concrete experiences in those issues uh, that kind of demonstrate that they're willing to pursue them and commit themselves to it are the more relevant criteria for predicting it, whether or not they're gonna be um, public interest lawyers after the fact. So I think, that, I think that the point is that the sort of, the way that this study is sort of um, look at idealism entering into law school is at a level of generality that doesn't actually tell us a huge amount necessarily about the specific reasons that uh, students are going to pursue public interest. uh uh uh, interest during law school and pursue public interest practice after after the fact um i mean the, the other the other important element i think to that is there is a market constraint right in terms of the availability of jobs in the public interest after one graduates is not infinitely expansive and so even though there are students who might like to pursue public interest law at the end of the day they don't all get jobs uh, at least their first jobs in the kinds of organizations and you know uh, uh, entities that they that they might that they might prefer um uh, one of the interesting things from the study is that the the percentage of of graduates in the public interest sort of expands over time so there there is a there is a migration um, from private practice of various sorts into public interest all over time but the kind of initial constraints on the availability of jobs
0: are also doing some work That's interesting as well. Were you able to track like the inclinations over time? Because it seems to me like in the 60s, there were probably a lot of people really interested in going into public interest type law. I know when I was a student in the 80s and early 90s, that a lot of people were really interested in going into corporate law and they wanted to be rich and work on Wall Street. And then it seems like seems like society's kind of shifted again in the last 20, 30 years. Um, do you have any kind of sense for that? I don't have any
1: empirical data on that. I, I think um, it is an interesting question. There are some you know more longitudinal studies on on, on I, I, not on a uh, sort of m- more generally on kind of uh, political values and um, you know sort of social justice mission i think if you if you want to put it that way Um, that would probably map on to the flow that you described but um, we don't in this particular study look at attitudes toward public interest or social justice work over time we do cite the relevant earlier studies that are you know kind of all point in time studies in terms of people's attitudes lawyers attitudes about this and you know, there, there is I think there is an understanding, as you just articulated, that, um, you know, the lawyers attitudes like, uh, you know, people's attitudes more broadly are shaped by these large scale macro level political and economic changes in society. And, you know, we, we have been in moments like the 60s and 70s when uh, when 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 these issues were more salient and in fact, you um, You know, the the salience of these issues motivated lots of people to go to law school during that time and motivated law schools to start to build clinical programs that were designed to be responsive to um, the demands of students to have socially relevant careers and government and foundations stepped into the into the void to really fund opportunities for lawyers to come out of law school and make a difference by having careers in nonprofit organizations that that just didn't exist before that period of time. Um, So yeah, demand, I think based on kind of where society is from a political standpoint does matter. And I do think we're in another moment when it does matter.
0: Um, From your perspective then, you know, what has your law school done in response to your study? Um has it changed anything, yet?
1: Uh, in response to our study, I, the you know I, I guess I would say that our my school, I feel very lucky that my school um, has had in place programmatic support um, that has really been at the cutting edge. and so um there are already a lot of pieces that that were in place that were you know that that we've been very happy about and have been really um critical to the way that um students who want to do this work have experienced law school so so i guess that's a way of saying that, that there wasn't there wasn't a huge amount of kind of um there wasn't a there wasn't a huge amount of space for Um, large scale change because so much had already, so much of the groundwork had already been laid. Uh, We have been in interesting conversations because of the findings again around, um, around the kind of non-curricular dimensions mattering about how to kind of expand opportunities in these regards. And, you know, the school has um, over the past period Significantly expanded opportunities for externships um, during the year, um, and again, that was one of the factors that did relate uh, significantly to uh, graduates having a public interest job. So that's that's something that's been happening, and that um, we've encouraged, based on the findings from our study, to kind of continue to happen because it does have a does have an impact. Um, And then the other thing that I think is very important that I didn't mention, but has been a focus of conversation and additional investment by the law school is that uh, mentoring matters a lot in uh, shaping public interest careers. And so one of the strong um, uh, law school level factors that uh, related to public interest persistence was having a um, important mentor it didn't really matter where that mentor was coming from, whether they were a mentor that was on the full-time faculty or an adjunct faculty or a staff member, but having someone who really stepped in to make a difference and encouraging students and helping them gain contacts and um, you know and sort of envisioning what that career would look like mattered profoundly. And so one of the things that we have done is try to figure out ways to encourage mentoring and to give credit to faculty and staff uh, who engage in that mentoring because so often it is considered to be essentially work that um, is hidden. it goes under the radar screen, it doesn't get credited in the same way that you get credited for other kinds of work in most schools. And so trying to figure out ways to elevate mentoring and to give it credit and to motivate more people to engage in it because it does really have a significant uh, impact on students as they try to navigate the maze of law school to get out on the other side to do the work.
0: So um, your study focused pretty uh, primarily or exclusively, I guess, on on California uh, law schools. Um, and you mentioned one of the problems with that was that uh, not all the um, the schools had these kinds of programs. But it seems to me that um, you know, the other factor is that you're drawing from a population in California, which is at this point a deep blue state. uh, And so, you know, you may see very different results if you look at, you know, Texas or Alabama or somewhere else. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think that's a good point. Um, We designed the study uh, in a way that you know, was was a uh, was um, in some ways trying to control for precisely that kind of variation, um, uh, in the sense of you know wanting to compare schools within a regional market, um, uh, in a regional market where there's a lot of variations in the region, right? The schools that we study were were concentrated in in L.A. and the Bay Area, so you know, very different. Um, kinds of kind of underlying economic bases and uh, organizational structures for public interest, but wanting to get some traction on a comparison where there'd be a lot of kind of similar factors that would kind of allow us to to do some kind of effective control. Um, But then um, uh, studying different trajectories from schools that were differently positioned because some were private, some were public, you know, somewhere differently ranked in terms of their uh, status level and the hierarchy of law school status. Um, some have different kinds of, of, of focuses in terms of their underlying kind of ethos and mission. And to get some traction out of the kind of similarity of the overall market, but also differences within that market. Um, I think the trade-off of that, as you've indicated, is that we we do have a particular picture in a particular location during a particular time. And that doesn't necessarily um, extend to other places and different timeframes, particularly in a context in which there is so much um, economic inequality and political polarization. And so as you move from from California to Texas, as in your example, you would expect to see lots of differences in terms of the way that, um, and that these things play out. So I think one of the things is that we hope this would would be an invitation to other researchers to do similar sorts of studies um, in different places, and maybe, you know, even motivate us studies that were kind of uh, uh, nationwide, so you can get, uh, you can get some comparative analysis across those dimensions.
0: And I'll just add this point for the listeners sake, you know, as a former academic myself, you know, I fully realized that you can't make your study be all things to all people. So, you know, don't, don't take it as a criticism, just kind of a limitation.
1: Yeah, and it was a limitation. And there's a, you know, there's sort of an interesting, if your listeners were interested, <laughs> interesting, um, you know, story about how these studies get designed, where you get funding for them, how you have to put them together, that did really lead us to um, selecting schools within California, because it was uh, it was the kind of frame that made the most sense in terms of um, raising funding to get and uh, you know to do important work um, but with the with the kind of right uh, right type of scope that would allow you to uh, you know to, to execute a project um, and to and to and to realize interesting findings um, uh within within a reasonable period of time. So so it was it was an exercise in kind of trying to figure out exactly how to do this uh, in, in a way that would produce important results um, without kind of overshooting the mark and get funding uh, from important national funders like the National Science Foundation was a main funder for the study. And, and that was something that we really work with them to devise a study that would work out uh, within a time frame and to yield these kinds of results.
0: Um, and then finally, you know, what's kind of your takeaway? Are you optimistic, pessimistic, kind of in the middle? I mean, where do you see this going at this point? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm
1: optimistic um, uh, in the sense that lots of law schools are following suit. They're uh, making investments. They're driven by competition in the market, but also the uh, demand by students who want to have careers of, of, of relevance and conscience and and I and I do think that the growth of uh, programs and investments in um, supporting public interest students a widening of opportunities through extracurricular activities and and externships uh, across uh, lots of lots of law schools does make me hopeful that there are opportunities for students to have significant uh, uh, impactful careers and be supported in law school for doing it. So I think law school now, for students that want to pursue public interest work, looks a lot different than law school when I went to when I was a student um, back in the back in the '90s. Um, there's just so much more robust infrastructure, um, and that makes me optimistic that students who really want this work can uh, be supported uh, and and do the and do the work once they once they graduate. There are still I think barriers, um, uh, but I think those barriers have been reduced in and, and ways that uh, we have to keep working towards, but um, I think, you know, I think we're in a much better place and continuing to work on these kinds of projects and to push law schools to live up to their promise to train students who are going to protect the rule of law and promote equal justice is, uh, is, is really,
0: I think, what our collective commitment is. Well, I wanna thank you for coming on and taking the time to uh, share. This is you know, an important issue that I don't think gets a lot of thought, uh, certainly outside of the law school setting. Um, so um, very enlightening conversation. So thank you.
1: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: We've been talking with Scott Cummings. He's a UCLA law professor. We've been talking about public interest law This is Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com that's justice for George Powell, all one word dot com.